Hello and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. I'm Simone Rochefort, video producer at Polygon.com. I'm joined tonight by Brianna Wu, Democratic candidate for Congress. And Christina Warren, please state for me your new title so that I can write it down. Um, let's just let's just say because I don't want to make the whole thing about like my employer, a senior content project manager at a, at a well-known software company. Senior I was, content I was thinking about this, project Christina. manager. You are now the Taylor Swift of that software company. I mean, that's <laughs> kind of what you're doing, right? Like you're you're up front. You're doing your thing. It's going to be awesome. We're going to learn so much. So many other people are going to learn so much from you besides the people that learn from you every Wednesday slash Thursday slash Friday on this podcast. <laughs> so, so whatever day we do our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> whatever day we do it, whatever day people actually end up hearing it. I don't even know. I just got back uh, yesterday night from a trip to France and I am fine. I'm not jet lagged <laughs> at all. Oh my God. Oh my God. I am. Can I tell you guys where I am this week? So last week I accepted the the Nebula award on behalf of arrival. So the Nebula is a super prestigious award and I gave that out and that was awesome. And this week, like I've got to tell you when you run for office, the rates people are willing to pay you to come speak really go up. Like that's not the reason I did it, but it's not a bad part of that either. And so I'm here at a college this week. Uh, it's Smith college here in, uh, in North Carolina, but they put me up in a dorm. I didn't read like the details of where they're going to put me up. (laughs) So they put, they have like a floor that's separated here for like adults to stay on on the college campus. And I'm like in a dorm with two other girls. And it is so weird because I turned 40 this year. And it's like I'm back in a dorm and it's weird. So wait, you're so, in a dorm with other adults though? Yes, I'm in a dorm with oh, other adults. God. And right now I'm hiding in the dorm social room <laughs> to record <laughs> Rocket and stealing Wi-Fi from the building next door. So I got to tell you, this is college all over again. This, this is, is wild. Th- yeah. yeah, no, stealing, stealing Wi-Fi from the door next door, that definitely sounds familiar. My, uh, my, my college campus shared the same like fiber network as, as Georgia Tech, but we were on different subnets. But we kind of figured out ways that we could sometimes like connect to one another to, you know, legally transfer files yes like uh very legally te- smiley smiley faces and text documents that sort of thing yeah we, we, Little we notes certainly saying i love you and legally obtained fonts to your friends we, we, we certainly weren't you know transferring every episode of family guy or 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 the simpsons or or other uh <laughs> content that that certainly was not happening we certainly weren't weren't using uh no, God, this will date me. Uh, Kazaa and Direct Connect. Uh, <laughs> we certainly weren't using those services on, on on the school network. No, no, no. I mean, you know, because the, no. the IT people would would send you an email and be like, "You can't do that." And then, you know, if you were smart, you'd figure out a way around it. Because at, in those days, the IT people weren't quite that bright. But anyway, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm statute of limitations. University I can say this. IT has to be one of the most long suffering organizations, just at any university. Ever because universities are so bad with technology, like they use ancient websites, like the w- names of which I won't name because I don't want to crap on any of those great uh, content sharing websites that universities like to use to organize their classrooms. Oh my god, they're also great, and they have so many freaking rules about what, like how could you can use equipment. And I would just, I would lose my freaking mind if I had to work IT at a university. Power to you all. I'm sure you yeah, just real. grow to be bitter and despise everyone you ever interact with. Well, think about if you do IT at a university, you're underpaid compared to the corporate sector. Like you're drastically yeah. underpaid. You've got not enough of a budget and you're dealing simultaneously with like jerk store undergrads and jerk store academics yes. <laughs> at the same time. So I've never known anyone that did IT for school that um, didn't have a little bit of um, that that didn't 
have emotions about it from time to time. I feel like we've now dumped on college students twice, like in five minutes. So. No, we're not. We're not. I mean, like, like <laughs> Bree's speaking at Smith. It's awesome. And she's re-experiencing what life was like. Yep, yep. She's going to awesome. go up there and say, I love college students. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, I'm going to go spray paint the Dean's car as soon as I get off the podcast. You should. You should just recreate Animal House. Recreate. No, actually, not Animal House. Real Genius. Oh, there we go. There we go. Yeah, see? If we're we're going to pick the college movie, pick the one with the nerd cred. Real genius. And not Revenge of the Nerds, because that one makes fun of nerds. But 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 real genius, the nerds like win, and there's popcorn at the end and that Tears for Fear song, and and it's a great movie. Anyway. And I have control of a laser. It would be great. I definitely remember that uh, film starring uh, Gabe Jarrett and Val Kilmer, that popular film that we've all seen. (laughs) Yeah, okay. It was maybe before you were born, but like that doesn't mean that you can't go back and watch it now, Simone. It's good. Oh, definitely not. I can watch it online at (laughs) Hulu.com. I fondly remember how that film made 12.9 million US dollars in the North American box office. That was such a good year. God. The screenplay by Neil Israel really just tore up my... uh, my panties. Um, so <laughs> Tore my panties is now the, the show title, title, by the way. Yeah. Mike will never allow that ever. No, I know he ever. won't, but, 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 but the audience, all of you guys tweet to us. You know, and tweet, you know tweet, the tweet, title. Tweet at iMike. Tweet yeah. at iMike and be like, please don't. <laughs> we know the title. Please don't. <laughs> um, okay, so the title you, is wait, now We're I Back, parentheses, fake I shouldn't title. say this, but like when – we constantly send Relay the filthiest titles we do. you can imagine. And then Mike will come to us, and it's so British the way he handles it. Or he's like, hey, guys, I just um, – I didn't know if you would, like, think about changing this title a little bit. He's embarrassed he has to ask us this because, you know, like, we should <laughs> – we should be we should be adults yes wasn't there one where we accidentally had like a a, the we did the same title twice but it was something about dolphins and it was really ridiculous am i dreaming anyway let's talk about a topic so um (laughs) well we did it we did a beautiful evergreen episode last week we're going to talk about some more um relevant things now and one of those is this huge uh, and unfortunate hacking attack that happened on that that affected hospitals worldwide last week, I believe. Um, and so, two weeks ago, couple two weeks ago, that's relevant. Ago. <laughs> Following the vein of uh, other recent phishing attacks, this was uh, an email scam that went out to hospitals and. Um, was a link in an email that then ended up infecting several computers. Uh, I think the British uh, hospital system was one of the most affected, um, affected, and it basically locked them out of patients' data and created huge problems in, say, emergency rooms and places where people go to get care. And one of the really interesting things about this is that these hacking tools actually were stolen from our own dear NSA right here mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. USA. Um, that sucks, <laughs> says extremely jet-lagged <laughs> Simone, um, who for Aww. some reason closed her article links. Uh, so, and the hospitals were held ransom, um, for Bitcoin payments, $300 or $300 in Bitcoin per computer. Yeah. By the way, Bitcoin, Bitcoin prices. Have, I was literally just about this, to Christina? say. Do you regret yeah, not investing in Bitcoin? No, it's nuts. It's, I, it's 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 the biggest surge that's happened in years. It's, it's crazy. It's really interesting. I think it almost. Um, I mean, I just by complete coincidence for a topic we're going to talk about later in the show bought a ton of bitcoins, like uh, at the beginning of two weeks ago. So now they've skyrocketed in value. But what the like, heck? Are you doing insider trading with bitcoins? I, I'm not. I'm not. I read a book we're going to talk about later in the show, and I said to myself, I need to up my professional knowledge of this, and I bought a bunch of bitcoins to spend them and figure out what my cryptocurrency policy was going to be, uh, you know, if I'm lucky enough to serve. But, yeah, this is a really interesting story, Simone. And, 
you know, I'm speaking for myself here, but what I, Brianna Wu, really appreciate is Microsoft's uh, chief legal counsel came out and had a, a rather aggressive blog on this. And I absolutely love some of the things they've been talking about lately. Like before this, he was talking about like the need for a digital uh, Geneva rights bill. Uh, and you know, he was talking here. They really went after the NSA for letting uh, you know this particular hacking tool get out there. This vulnerability. He talked about how like this is not the first time this happened. It was tied to WikiLeaks and how um, you know if a government you know has this and doesn't secure it it's not really any different than having like a Tomahawk missile Mm -hmm. and not securing that and that being used on civilians. I found that to be an utterly factual and reasonable analogy. I mean, what do you all think about that? Yeah. So to back up and do a little context on this, there uh, was basically it seems like the NSA knew about uh, an exploit in the back end of Windows that was exploited by this hack that they did not tell Microsoft about, whereas usually right. white hat hackers will find leaks and, or leaks, blah, will find loopholes and things like that and then alert the company and maybe get a reward or just get, you know, their good name approved of, et cetera, et cetera. But the NSA, having found these exploits, kept them secret um, for their own governmental purposes, whatever they may do. Um, and so when these tools were stolen, it obviously the, those vulnerabilities were all the all the easier to exploit because companies were not warned and they could not patch them um, in time. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, in, in in disclosure, we'll talk about this more in another segment. But but but, but full disclosure, as uh, as I announced last week, I am now an employee of Microsoft. But these opinions are all my own. Um, I do not speak for the company. I do not have any insight into how any of this worked. Um, I'm not on any of those teams. But yeah, I mean, what happened, as you were saying, Simone, is is that um, and and this is not uncommon in in information security and and in cybersecurity stuff, uh, where. Um, Hacking groups or even intelligence groups will hoard exploits, and and basically they will sometimes t- t- for for use cases to, to because they want they might want the backdoors for their own reasons. So mm-hmm. like the NSA or other security agencies, you know, and, and foreign agencies do this too. And we we saw we got a lot of information about this um, on the record uh, during the Apple. Uh, versus FBI case last year, you know, they kind of were, they found this, 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 um, you know, um, vulnerability in Windows that had been present for a really long time. And rather than disclosing it to the company, they decided to hoard it for themselves so that they could maybe have a, have an easier time accessing systems. Um, and, you know, the problem with that is, is that you can understand from the, from the intelligent community perspective why, you know, it might be useful yeah. to hoard our exploits because it, it makes it easier for them. They don't have to build their own tools and whatnot. Um, but it becomes kind of a game in cat and mouse for these companies. And, and, and I think as, 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 you know, Microsoft's legal counsel, you know, pointed out, like in this case, what was really bad is that because these things were stolen then from, the, you know, from, from the security community and, and, and released out, you know, in the public, they were able to be weaponized. Um, and and like, like Bree was saying, you know, the analogy of like a Tomahawk missile, I mean, I think is really uh, apt. And what had happened is that when Microsoft was made aware that this vulnerability did exist and that this, this hole existed, they immediately released a patch in March. Um, and, and so a lot of systems had been updated, but not everybody updates their systems. So no matter how much Microsoft tries to kind of convince companies and convince their software vendors and, and all their partners to update, Plenty of things wouldn't. What compounded this situation then was that there were older systems that had been had reached end of life quite some time ago, like years ago, that were also potentially affected. So you know, Microsoft made the the decision to release uh, you know patches for, for for going all the way back to Windows XP, which you know came out in two thousand one um, and had been end of life Ooh. for you know for years. You know, and 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 extended support period, you know, had been gone, and and so, you know, but they had to kind of make those decisions because those systems, because the, the vulnerability existed the way that it did, and and I think that it does open up a question about like when governments, you know, specifically, you know, security, you know, or when governments period start to hoard these attacks and like keep them from companies when they are have the potential to affect so many different things, mm-hmm. um, I think is really problematic. I mean, that was one of the things that. Um, but, but at the same time, I mean, I would, it, it's, I, I'm, I'm of two positions. I, I'm, I'm, I'm hugely troubled by 
you know, uh, security agent by, by, you know, intelligence communities, you know, hoarding um, vulnerabilities and, and weaponizing them in this way and keeping them, pro- you know, keeping them for themselves. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I think that that's that's a disservice. At the same time, if I were faced with the decision with the choice, and and I don't, I think I, I know this is a false analogy. This is a false choice, but still. If I if the the choice came down to the government mandating that companies write in backdoors into their software so that they could Ooh. access it, or uh. or or you know if we find the vulnerability we'll keep it ourselves and we don't have to share it, I would almost rather them keep have, find the vulnerability not share it because there's the chance that that someone else will find it and it could mm-hmm. be fixed. I would feel more comfortable with that than I would, you know, the, the government trying to mandate, which is what they were trying to do with Apple FBI. And, and, and there's been continued conversations about this where they're trying to say, well, we want to build, you know, backdoors into the software. I would much rather have this, have the onus be on the companies themselves at whatever risk those are. I mean, I, I do feel like responsible disclosure is incredibly important. I feel like that this is just, you know, it's terrible when these things happen. Um, but you ha- but you have to kind of expect that, that it's not just you know um, uh, intelligence agencies; it, it, it's other groups too who are doing these sorts of things. So you have to always be vigilant. But I would rather, I guess, if faced with one or the other, mm-hmm. I would rather the the if the NSA is going to be doing something like this, I would rather them have to do their own recognizance and their own efforts to find vulnerabilities and hoard them, than try to force you know through the legislative or uh, process. Um, companies to, to to build those backdoors in that they can access. Absolutely. I definitely agree with that. I, I, I really, you know, and I just I feel like I want to take a beat here and say, like, we will continue to cover Microsoft. And if it's like in hostile terms, like we will either just avoid that topic or, you know, or Christina and I will have a different opinion. Like we will sure. keep the same editorial independence we've shown all the way through this show. But I personally feel Microsoft is really to be applauded here. I think they showed some real bravery every step of the way here. I mean, first, going back to like deprecated versions of Windows and releasing this patch like a month ahead of time, you know, I'm not going to put the blame on, uh, you know, IT departments that chose not to, you know, update that software because I know it's more complicated than that. Um, but I think like, it's really awesome that they put together that patch and made it, you know, open to everyone. And I think taking the public stance of critiquing the NSA was, was very, very bold here. So I think like there's a larger conversation we need to be having as an IT community about, um, like a 30 year plan. Like if I build a hospital, you know, if I put the millions of dollars into it, I can expect that to be a building for like, you know, 20, 30 years and be stable. But if I go through and spend that much on an IT system for a hospital or a school, that's not going to be the same like fixed investment. And I think like building planners tend to think of it that way. So I think like we should be having a larger discussion as a community about like operating systems and lifespans and what our expectations are. But like for this individual situation, I don't see how you can critique Microsoft about any of it. I th- and I think there's a there's another aspect of this that is relevant and it is the fact that hospitals were affected um and obviously that's they're they're um if you are a hacker who wants immediate sort of response from a target a hospital is a great target to hit because you know they they really really need their computer systems but also organizations like that um that might be using older machines that are networked together um i think hospitals are more vulnerable than say my personal computer that I can update on a whim within an organization like that, people might not necessarily be on the latest version because um, of the way that their IT department works or the way that um, that their programs need to work. They can't just automatically update to the newest version of something all the time. So right. we, ne- I think we need to really, like you were saying, Brie, a- assess organizational computing and how we keep organizations like that safe. And and we are kind of dumping on um, universities or not dumping on universities earlier, but discussing universities earlier. And that's another example of an organization where there are a lot of 
pieces, chess pieces that have to be moved before they can upgrade technology because yes. of funding or because of the way that things are networked together. So it's it's very stressful to think, I guess, about the ways in which our network computers in organizations like that that are very crucial to our infrastructure are vulnerable simply because of maybe the fact that that infrastructure is a little older than our current, you know, technology is yeah. at the moment. And I, th- I think I think another problem too and another challenge is not only is, is the infrastructure often older, but their budgets are often getting slashed and, and are getting slashed every year. And, and um, you know, in schools and hospitals are two of the places hit, you know, fastest hospital budgets, you know, uh, are continuously um, uh, uh, slashed, even even in countries that have socialized medicine. Um, you know those budgets get get cut down, and, and that that puts you know infrastructure upgrades on the back burner. But it also means that like you know we, before we were limiting you know the the poor underpaid you know I, IT staffers in colleges. I mean you know hospital IT people too. Sometimes they don't have the resources, depending on how how big the system is, and and that can make things even more complicated because there would there could be ways that even if you have soft even if you have you know computers. And systems that might not be able to always be upgraded and patched, that you could isolate them on the network, and and you could you could do you know uh, you know uh, basically uh, do what you could do to prevent them from kind of reaching out and and, and protect things and and have have stricter you know um, uh, uh, you know security stuff happening uh, on the on the IT side. But if you don't have the budgets for that, if you don't have the training for that, if you don't have the resources for that, that becomes really difficult too. And and I think that in cre- going forward, what this you know with this terrible situation it's kind of I hopefully illuminated a little bit i mean who knows the fact that 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 so many of the problems were were mitigated um i think is is a good thing uh not a good thing the fact that so many things were mitigated uh at least for right now means that I, I hope that it doesn't make people not take this seriously. I hope that what this incident could do in like a perfect scenario would be to kind of let the the real stakeholders and the people who do control budgets and 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 systems and whatnot kind of have a better understanding that hey, when we get our budget for next year, we can't actually cut the IT budget, and the infrastructure mm-hmm. budget actually doesn't need to be cut because these things are only going to be becoming um, more and more common, especially as we go into a more connected world as the internet of things really starts to take off. I mean, it, 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 this is, this is going to become the reality rather than, than the mm-hmm. outlier. And, and I think the only way you, you kind of mitigate that is, is to um, have people as informed as possible, have people trained as well as possible and start to, you know, even though you still have legacy systems and that'll take years and years to get rid of, start planning new systems, you know, that, that are designed um, better have, start having conversations now about how updates can happen and how patches can happen to make sure that, you know, a buying decision that you made 15 years ago doesn't end up um, potentially bringing your system down today. And and see, Christine, that's where I really feel like federal tech policy really, really, really has a role to play. Because if you don't have a, a federal tech policy there and money behind it, then it's exactly as you said, like IT budgets get put to the back burner. It's the last priority. And InfoSec doesn't get taken seriously. You know, at the Recode conference, I forget who said this, but it was um, it was one of the speakers that came out and said, your data is probably safer on Facebook than it is at a school or a hospital. And I have to yeah. tell you, as somebody that's looked into InfoSec a lot for Massachusetts schools and hospitals, that is absolutely, absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the security situations of these things, like there's not always independent code audit done is generally proprietary systems done through a vendor, which I believe is a very inefficient way to get this done. And, you know, I think we can have, uh, I think, you know, with respect to Microsoft, I think there's a discussion to be had if it is worth it for, you know, us to continue to basically outsource these kinds of systems to Microsoft and depend on them for security updates. Like something I am looking at, and I'm not sold on it yet. But I'm I'm wondering if like open source, if it's not to you know our benefit to like fund an open source like networking system that you could deploy in hospitals and schools that had security that was, you know, the public could look at and that we could patch more easily. I don't think there's like an easy answer here, but I do know we've got to have some leadership 
on this because it's as she said, Christina, this problem is just going to get worse and worse and worse. And we have an entire generation of leaders that just don't understand this and are not interested in doing anything. As best as I can tell, Congress has done nothing in reaction to this that's concrete other Mm -hmm. than words. And I think that's just a, a failure of duty. This is actually a great segue into our second topic of the day, (laughs) (laughs) which is uh, in an attempt to improve cybersecurity for the federal government, uh, an executive order has been issued to begin the shifts to cloud computing um, for all our fun government stuff, uh, fun government data. Um, So apparently, according to this GeekWire article that's in front of my face right now uh some agencies are already um quote unquote shifting data resources to cloud computing services i i usually rephrase this stuff in my own words i don't know how to rephrase shifting data resources to cloud computing services um so this this is i this is both very 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 relevant um and it's something that i think has been in the works or being tossed around for a while, uh, the these moves to or fr- moving data to the cloud is something that started um, under Obama's administration and is now firmly the next step forward. So this is obviously cloud computing and s- storage is the future. We are. Oh, well, okay. That, well, okay. Yeah. It, it it is certainly becoming more and more prevalent um, in recent times. It also makes me very nervous because of everything that we've literally just said and everything I feel like we've talked about for the last month or so uh, with regards to cybersecurity. And again, the fact that organizations such as hospital schools and the government just they the technology that they are working with is sometimes just so dated like i am thinking of um the unemployment website <laughs> like just things like that that and any government service that you access through the internet um that i personally have had experience with in recent times feels like it is ancient and decrepit and that makes me i guess sort of wary about big moves like this obviously if it's something that needs to happen it needs to happen but our own government is very um flawed shall we say whether because of size or because of um just the existing ancientness of its infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera. I, I mean, so my read on this, and TechCrunch had a really interesting article, and it's, I tell you, like, we're trying to talk about this topic and keep it non-political, but it's its rare I read things that are positive about our president these days, but they had, they had good things to say about this. Uh, it was kind of initiated by um, a Texas um, congressman um, that had been looking at this. So one of the advantages if we move to cloud computing for the government is it's kind of centralizing risk. So rather than 10 different agencies trying to build their own proprietary system, if you're moving into a cloud computing uh, solution, you know, like Microsoft Azure, which has a really, really stellar um, security rating, you know, then you're kind of centralizing all that risk. Of course, then the opposite problem happens and like it's all in one place. If there's a security vulnerability or, you know, if, you know, Congress passes a law in backdoor where they're able to, you know, go into that service, like it's all in one location. So there are definitely pros and cons to this. So I guess, and Christina, what is your read on this? Like, is this a step forward? Like, what, how do you feel about it? I'm kind of conflicted because I think yeah. on, on some cases it definitely could be a step forward. You know, I yeah. mean, uh, I, I think that when we look at how poorly um, s- certain security things have been handled in the government already, kind of moving to this model would definitely be – could be an improvement. Um, but I'm also 
I'm, 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 I'm hesitant, you know, because you don't know, okay, who, who's going to be maintaining this stuff? What is, is, is this a full, you know, service contract where, you know, your, your, your cloud provider is also doing your security maintenance stuff or, or is this simply, you know, going to be, you know, renting space and doing other things? Uh, what, what sort of compliance things are going to be involved? I, th- there are a lot of questions and there are a lot of ways where, you know, it sounds really like it could be a good thing, um, but it's all about the implementation. And, 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 and that's where, I guess my concerns would come in. How, what is the I get what are the legal ramifications? I guess if uh, like Amazon Web Services or Microsoft Azure is doing security for the government, I mean they already do in some cases, right? Like okay. like oh, you know yeah. like. Like 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 Microsoft is and, and Amazon but both um, uh, Google to a much lesser extent but are very big contract like the government is very big clients for both of them okay and and so they already handle some of those things and have those really high relegated you know uh, um, you know security things um, how high up it would go and, and whatnot I don't know there there could reach a certain point where the government would say we want to do this all internally. That would honestly concern me more than like having, you know, the experts at, at Amazon or Microsoft or, or wherever, you know, or, or, or you know, yeah. Cisco or, or, you know, SAP or, or, or whoever handling some of this stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, already, you know, like a huge amount of money from, a, you know, Oracle, you know, big companies like that, the huge amount of money that they get comes from from government contracts. Yeah. So it's not, you know, um out of these conversations on a lot of levels do make sense because they've, they're already, you know, have big contracts. It might make sense to, to streamline things otherwise, but it, I don't know. It just, it just all comes down to implementation. Implement, I think. That's really the key here. I mean, but Simone, I think that question is really, um, I think it's very smart because that does yes. um, pass along risk, right? Like I'm sure if I'm a government and I contract out, you know, like uh, Amazon, for a bunch of cloud computing, I'm sure in that contract somewhere, like I'm signing away any rights. And then if Amazon screws up and my medical data gets out there, am I suing the government? Am I suing Amazon? There's this entire legal game of who has culpability there. So that's actually a feature for the government is making it harder to hold anyone accountable here. For me, this is what I worry about. Um, You know, it's again I want to stress like Microsoft Azure and you know Amazon S3 like these are are good products. These are very very good products. I think you know Amazon in particular can be pretty cost effective. But what worries me is I I I would really like us to start rethinking this model about proprietary software being the only solution with you know things we're paying for the public to finance, right? Like I was thinking about this with voting systems, you know, um, you know, Diebold became a, a different subsidiary with the Diebold voting system. You know, no one was ever able to go look at that code and make sure it was, you know, registering votes correctly. It had a lot of security holes in it. You know, that's a closed proprietary system. Something I really wonder is if, you know, continuing to fund these things, you know, through like, by basically handing a giant government contract to a third party company, that's great for the lobbyists that get paid and the politicians that get to keep getting elected when those people keep giving money to their, you know, campaign. But I just really wonder if that's really in the public interest. I wonder if more open source security, more open source, like, in networking solutions, I wonder if it wouldn't be in the public interest for us to you know, develop more of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think that the, especially in government, uh, you know, open source can be really, really useful. And and I, I, I'm not of the opinion, and I never, I never have been, that proprietary software or, or solutions are evil. I think that in many nope. cases they can they are necessary. And, yep. and a lot of times even open source things become kind of ad hoc. You know, you yep. kind of build your own and, and maybe you contribute back, maybe you don't. You know, it, it, it all depends on the project. But I, I do think that using open standards at the very least yep. um, for these sorts of things would be really useful. It, I, I don't necessarily think that the whole projects need to be open source, but, but, but having open standards standards and and as as a result of the data center i mean that becomes more complicated and i don't i don't have expertise to speak on that but i i, I i'm with you that, that i think that de- depending on what's being done and how things are being implemented using more open systems or at least open standards um at the very least would make it easier to switch providers if you needed to do that yeah. you know yeah. because that's one of the things too that you do i mean you know you bring up a great point who's responsible if something bad happens 
Who do you sue? Who do you go after? But not only that, I mean, okay, so maybe Amazon or Microsoft, maybe they're not going to go out of business or, or anything like that. But but what if what if you know something catastrophic were to happen? What if you were to use a, maybe a, a slightly smaller you know mm. a provider um, and and they were to be acquired or something yeah. was to change? You need to make sure that you know when you are moving to this cloud model and 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 in in some cases you know moving uh, some of the responsibilities outside of strictly you know the government purview that things can be portable and that things can be, you know, providers can be switched or, or maybe you need a backup provider, you know I mean? Just, ha- and, and I think the, the easier way of doing that, uh, at least I would think the planning process would be to start using more open standards, um, more, you know, uh, earlier. I'd like you that know, a lot, possible. Christina. That's a really, because that allows, if we were to move with open standards with this, which as I understand the CEO, that's not what we're getting, but there were open standards that would let many different people compete for to provide these services, right? Right. So I I like that because then that keeps it a little bit more removed from the you know give money to a lawmaker kind of paradigm there. So I I guess the thing my main point I wanted to say about this is, yeah, I feel like cloud computing is a buzzword. And I, I feel like, you know, there just needs to be some awareness. When we're talking about cloud computing, you're really talking about just leaving all the stuff on someone else's computer instead of your <laughs> own, you know? That, that was going to be my question to you, actually, was, I guess, your, because uh, when I brought up cloud computing earlier, you had a... Uh, a negative, you had a, you made a slightly negative reaction sound. And I was, I was curious, I guess, about your, your feelings about just keeping data in the cloud as, um, real talk about this. Like if you look at the people that initiated this and you look at who's giving money to them, I just worry it's like pay for play for government contracts. And I'm, again, these are fine systems. It's definitely going to be a step forward in cybersecurity. I'm all about making these systems more secure. I just want us to have better policy overall. And, you know, I don't, I don't think the answer for, you know, I, I think that passing these systems to someone competent like Microsoft or Amazon is not a long-term strategy. And I, I worry that that's what we're getting. Kind of like passing the buck, as it yeah, were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So are are we seriously at dessert already? This is what happens when... This is this is a, a rare ad free episode for y'all. You're getting the the unfiltered the unfiltered <laughs> rocket. Should I should I briefly pause to make it weird? Is that what do you think people would like that? I think I think that's what they expect. I mean, I think that's that's what I expect. That's the only reason yeah. I'm on the show, Simone, yeah. is, is yeah. for you to make it weird. Oh yeah. boy. Oh boy. This week's episode of Rocket is brought to you from my bedroom at eleven fifteen PM. <laughs> On a Thursday night, I just got back from France the other day. Yesterday, it was only yesterday that I returned from France, uh, somewhat late in the afternoon, and yet I slept a full night, and yet I am still this shell husk of a person. You know what I need? Coffee. Coffee and a good night's sleep, everyone. That's what I want to make me cured from jet lag, the horrible jet lag that plagues me. Brianna, what are your experiences with curing your coffee with a full night's sleep? <laughs> I got nothing. Curing your coffee? Did I really just said that? I, curing your full I, night's sleep with a with, with coffee? I worry that you are not able to consent to being on this podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm honestly also concerned. Yeah, I feel like yeah. I, I, I've had, honestly, more eloquent weeks. Even at the very beginning of this show, I think I had more eloquent weeks than the one I'm having right now. Um, but you, what you're, the third topic is kind of your thing, Bree, and I'm really excited to hear what you have to say about it. See, you just read this book, or you're reading this book, American Kingpin. Oh, I've read it um, three times. Three times. Oh my three god! Times, then yeah. you must have a lot to say. I do. And this is why I'm so excited for you to be back this week, Christina. We can't. But before we do that. Like, Simone, I was reading your Twitter before the show, and this is something you actually tweeted out to people. You said, quote, I picture myself as cute and as cute and non-threatening, and then I make eye contact with people and remember that I have the brows of a wicked sorceress. 
<laughs> and I read that. Yeah, I go, okay, that's the kind of show Rocket's going to be tonight. I know what I'm in for. And I was right. I was absolutely right. I feel this good is about a real that. anecdote. I accidentally made eye contact with someone on the subway, and I was like, "Oh, I probably look so like soaked in the rain and wet and vulnerable right now in my big jacket." And then I was like, "No, you're wearing your commuter uh, B face, and you have one permanently crooked eyebrow that makes you look like you are judging everyone that you see." And then I pulled out my phone so I could look at myself to see how awful and scary I looked. And then I remembered that I also wasn't wearing makeup. So on top of looking like an evil sorceress, I looked not great. So (laughs) to everyone who's and then I spent over $100 on a plant. So um, it was a philodendron. I, I feel like I just want to like, end the show now, Christina. <laughs> just, <laughs> just walk away. So, okay, oh. okay. So, talk about the book. So, Christina, I wanted to ask, do you know Nick Denton? Did you ever run into him professionally? Like in, you, in you, your you work? Mean, Nick Pelton, I'm Nick, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Nick Pelton, yes, you mean? Oh my gosh, yes, Nick Pelton. Sorry. Nick Nick Pelton. Yeah, both. we are yes. not asking Christina to spill no, all the no, dirt no, on no, Gizmo. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Nick Pelton. It's 11:30 for me too, and I've been Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Yeah. I I know I know Nick um I've met him like like once or twice I think and we're like Facebook friends, not that that means anything. Um yeah. but uh yeah, I I'm a, a big fan of his work. Obviously, you know, he uh, he was at the New York Times for a long time. He wrote Hatching Twitter, and then he went to Vanity Fair, and he's been doing good work there. And and then this book, um, it was it was interesting because he was at Ulbricht's trial, and I was yeah, there was. for a couple of days. I didn't Weren't spend you? a lot of time. Um, oh my god! Okay, I've got questions for you. Then. Yeah, <laughs> so. um, I, I I I got you know more people like people who I, I I'm friends with did much better and more in depth reporting um, on the the Silk Road trial than I did. But it was sure. you know in New York, so. I did a stop in and, and, um, you know, a lot of us, I was kind of surprised at first when Bilton announced the book deal, because I thought that I can't think of his name right now, but the, the wired reporter who wrote particularly good stuff on Silk Road, I was like, Oh, I'm surprised he didn't get the book deal. Uh, but I think the Bilton style, and I think I haven't read the book, but I've read some of the excerpts. Uh, I'm definitely going to, so Um, can I give people an overview just so you kind of know what we're talking about here? Yeah. Uh, So, uh, he put Nick Belton put out this book. So I was on uh, this week in tech with him like three weeks ago and he's talking about this book and I'm like, all right, that sounds kind of okay. And I bought the book and I just was completely fracking enraptured from the word go. Like this is legitimately one of the best books I've ever read. And if you're a tech person, like this is completely up your alley. So Silk Road is this website that um, started and it was uh, what year was it, Christine? It was like 2008 or so. Like it was uh, relatively no, it was later recently. Than, no, a little it, bit it, later it, than that. It, it wasn't 2008. I mean, it might have been like 2011, I think, maybe 2012. Yeah, some, yeah. somewhere around there. So, you know, basically started the site uh, and the, the model with it was um, you would use cryptocurrency and bitcoins, which were untraceable, and they tied that with Tor. And basically created the Amazon.com of drugs. So, like, if you wanted some ecstasy, you would buy one pill of ecstasy on Silk Road. You would pay for it with cryptocurrency, which is untraceable. And then they would mail it to your house. And if the police uh, happened to catch it and came to your house, you could just be like, I don't know who's mailing me this pill of ecstasy. <laughs> so, it was like this, this real clever way of getting around it. So law enforcement is trying to, you know, catch Silk Road and A, they start off completely in the dark technically, Um, you know, and they're trying to figure out how do you catch someone when you can't trace their identity, when everything's going on through tour. And this, this book is like, if it were a thriller, it would be so well written. It would just be amazing. But the fact that this is all true reporting that he did from like pouring through like the unencrypted server logs and interviewing the agents, it's just it's freaking stunning, Christina. I can't even believe it. Yeah, and I'm I'm interested in in, in reading it because most of what's kind of been written so far, and I have a feeling that Bilton will be taking a much more you know um, uh, 
I want to say balanced kind of perspective and, and maybe not, you know, one sided. There were a lot of people who, especially, you know, the, the sentence that he received, you know, Ross Ulbrich has, has a lot of supporters and, and a lot of people who really feel like, you know, um, uh, what happened to him was maybe overkill. Um, I don't really, you know, I, Look, the way that he got caught, you know, is is is, is and, and whether he was truly the mastermind behind everything or not, I'm not really sure. But the way he was was caught was kind of his own fault, um, you know. Uh, but but uh, Alex Winter, who was a uh, who's in Bill and Ted and was an actor and is now a documentarian, he did a really good documentary called Deep Web, and and that featured a lot of stuff with uh, Andy Greenberg, who was the Wired reporter I was trying to think of, who did really good reporting of the of the of Silk Road in general and of the trial, um, and and that. Um, you know, I think I have a feeling that a lot of the topics that are in Deep Web and, and a lot of the topics in, in Bilton's book kind of overlap because they are. But but I, I also have a feeling that their approaches are going to be very different. Um, Alex Winter's documentary though is definitely worth watching. I think it's on Netflix um, for for anybody who who wants to see it. Um, but yeah, I mean, there were so many kind of interesting kind of questions I think kind of raised with the Silk Road trial and and but it also opens up a lot of questions about cryptocurrency which obviously is is what we mentioned at the top, top of the show Bree that you um you know have been interested in. I wrote I had to write an explainer about Bitcoin I guess in 2013 I want to say and I bought like $100 worth but at the time the bitcoins were worth like $10 a piece. Oh my god, and, you were rich and, then if you've got uh, well, them. I I had to, I had to divest in in 2014 oh. um out of conflict of it. Well, but at that point you guys, I was fine. Um, <laughs> it, I mean, I, it would, it would, would I have been better off now, I suppose, but I, I, I did, I did pretty well. Um, but you know, that, that, that currency has kind of fluctuated and, and I think, whereas a lot of companies and, and I don't want to get into the back the weeds on this, but you know, the blockchain, which is of course the kind of the, the technological basis for yeah. Bitcoin. Well, I think that that potentially has really robust uses. I'm personally not still not convinced no matter how much, you know, the, 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 um, uh, the, the the prices have have kind of increased and and you know have kind of had a resurgence. I'm still personally I have like feelings. I'm like I don't think this is ever going to be a thing. But I would love really? to have, hear your I would love to hear your thoughts on that, Brie. Because yeah, I I really just don't think that, that the Bitcoin or cryptocurrency in general. I think the ideas behind cryptocurrency are really interesting, and I think that if you could take some of those ideas and bring them into more uh, traditional currency types, that would be a perfect solution, but is there, but I, I don't, I, I just think with the politics, especially involved with, with the Bitcoin, you know, of, uh, you know, consortiums and, and, and the different groups about how the blockchain is run. And at this point, you know, China controls a big portion of it and, and all kinds yeah. of other stuff. And you know, there, there's so much political things happening on both the tech side, not to mention, um, you know, political things happening on, on the, the actual currency and regulation side. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just overly cynical. I don't ever see it becoming a thing. I oh, know. I definitely, I definitely think cryptocurrency will have some role in the future. If for nothing else, that criminals are always going to, like ransomware is going to continue to be a thing oh, and yes. you're going to need a way to, to do that. Is it going to be like a worldwide currency on rank with like the yen? I, I don't think so. But to me, the really interesting regulatory questions that are here is like, you know, they put very strict limits on like converting uh, cryptocurrency bitcoins to dollars because right. it's so overused in like criminal transactions. Yes. And that to me is it's there's so many interesting regulatory issues here. Like, you know, if you read his book and all the hoops the FBI had to jump through to catch this guy, it is honestly a miracle they did. I mean, it was very small mistakes that led to him getting caught. And I think it's really an interesting question of, you know, with Tor, like I'm very pro-privacy, but I I couldn't help but read this book. And even though I don't agree with it, be much more sympathetic to the FBI arguments of needing like a backdoor. I'm not saying right. I would ever vote for it. I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm saying I can understand how someone with that job would feel very strongly about it. So I think that there are some really interesting discussions we need to have about like regulating, you know, Bitcoin to dollar transactions and, you know, like what is our balance going to be with things like Tor and HTTPS and, you know, the need of law enforcement to, you know, go and prosecute crimes? I think it's a really interesting question. No, I agree with you. I think, I think that's, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, I know just when I had to deal with Bitcoin, um, you know, this is like 2014, um, I had to like 
you know, reported on my taxes. And, 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 and it was a, it was a problem because at that point it wasn't clear how you would deal with, with Bitcoin stuff and, and, and how it, at that point, it, you know, the, 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 the taxation stuff was even less clear than it is now. But, you know, I talked to a tax attorney and then was like, okay, report it as part of, you know, your income thing and, and pay taxes on it. Um, which, which was, which was a weird thing to do, but you know, that, that opens up uh, again, you know, they're all kinds of like mundane regulatory questions, you know, about the, you know, converting to dollars, about doing other things. How do exchanges work? You know, how are you, how are these things talking to real banks? How are these things insured? You know, so many different, um, like I, I can't, at least three major, you know, like, a like, a what should we call it? I can't think of the terminology right now. Um, um, basically, you know, places where you would convert Bitcoin and kind of store it, you know, have been hacked and, and people oh. have lost value, you know, where, where, and, and you don't have FDIC insurance, you know, on Bitcoin the same way you do uh, on regular banking systems, you know, so there, there becomes a lot of, of questions. Obviously you can do, uh, you know, anonymous transactions and all kinds of other things, but um, you know, there are other concerns too. And then, then as you said, you know, when, when it comes to Tor, uh, which is, which is another big part of this, you know, it's all kind of linked together you do definitely understand why the government would want some back doors and, and, and why uh, law enforcement would want to do those things. And, I mean, and in fact, I mean, if you want to be a conspiracy theorist, I, I don't uh, ascribe to all of this, but this is certainly fact. Um, you know, uh, one of the main uh, backers of the Tor project from the beginning was the U.S. government. Yeah. So you have to, you know, a conspiracy theorist might say, well, they've been building back doors into, those, in, into the systems and, and, and seeding it with developers, you know, who work for the government from the get go. Again, I don't want to go down that like, conspiracy rabbit that, hole. But yeah. I, I don't either. I don't either. But I'm but but it is it is factual to say yeah. that yeah. that the that, you know, much of the money and the infrastructure, you know, the people who've been paying for tour have actually been the government. And and that that it would be naive, I think, to think that they don't have people who are looking at how they can best take advantage of those systems and how anonymous is it really, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's well said. Anyway, it is it is a fantastic book. It is well worth your time. And um, anyone that enjoys, like, you know, technology policy and, like, mixing, like, the highest tech, like, you know, cryptocurrency, Tor, anonymity, like, blockchain policy with, like, a good old crime story, like, this is it. So, um, yep. We'll there is there. a review, uh, the Verge review for American Kingpin by Nick Bilton is now in our show notes, as well as Christina's Bitcoin explainer on Mashable. <laughs> if you, like me, are not yet evolved enough to truly grasp the intricacies of Bitcoin. It's not that hard, Simone. It's like there's a blockchain and like... You know, so think of it like if you have two colors of paint and you mix it together, like just knowing like the number, like the color of paint is a simple equation. So you can look at the colors mixed together and it's really hard to figure out what the two colors were that made it originally. Like that's the difference in like a complex function through one of these algorithms and like the quick function of it. So the blockchain is just this really mathematically intensive thing that they're constantly like calculating to like keep it going and to like confirm everything has been done in separate ledgers and also to um you know basically chew up computing time so and then the people that are calculating the bit chain they temp sometimes like they facilitate transactions and they get new bitcoins like it's it's really easy. Like if you could see the yeah. face that I'm making right now. <laughs> I'm sorry I shouldn't be on a show explaining things. I'm bad at it. It's okay. So, There's a cute little yeah. cartoon video with a llama in the article that Christina wrote in 2012. And I'm going to watch 2012? that. 2012? Oh, my God. We were all... I was still in college. Um, Shut up. <laughs> uh, so what are you up to? Christina, do you want to talk about the week that you've had or do you want to yeah 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 i'll oh, talk about it a little bit yay. um yeah so so i live in seattle now well actually technically i'm in bellevue um uh i don't know exactly where i will be living but uh i i am now on the best coast and uh i miss new york a lot but um Man, it uh, does but hurt i did when people make that joke i'm sorry <laughs> i have to apologize for years of abuse now i was gonna say everybody keeps saying like uh you know um uh Keeps you welcome to the best coast. And, and I, I still, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, I'm still a New Yorker. 
Um, uh, even though I'm now a, a, a Washington State resident uh, or, or whatever. But yeah, no, I moved a week ago or less than a week ago. So we were recording this on a Thursday. I moved uh, on Friday. Uh, thank you all for allowing me to be out while I moved. Um, and it's uh, it's different. Yeah. <laughs> As a person who recently made that opposite move, uh, it's hecka different. Um, I, I still find it so freaking amusing that we, over the course of a year, just swapped places. Yeah. I know. It's crazy. And we barely ever saw each other in New yeah. York, which is the worst part. Um, we're probably going to see each other more now that we're on the opposite coast again. That would be typical us. And I have to say, now that you've uh, said you're living in Bellevue, Bellevue is a garbage place. And please don't judge Seattle by Bellevue because it is Whoa. bad and people shouldn't live there. Okay. Wow. Sorry, oh, I'm judging not judging you, Simone. It, it's, it's been – I mean, look. I mean, look. We we don't even have a car yet. Uh, oh, My God. husband just – well, yeah, I know. I mean, thank goodness for Uber and Lyft, right? Um, well, Grant, I don't have a driver's license, and I don't know if I'm going to get one. I might, but I'm not sure yet. Yeah. Um, and then my husband let his license expire and had to go through – and then lost his social security card, which meant it was difficult for him to get his license renewed slash get one in new york Oof. anyway he finally got his license today so we've been here for four days he got his license today um and uh, we're going to have a car um for the next two weeks um uh, uh kind of a, a corporate rental thing and then he'll be buying a car um so soon we'll be able to kind of drive around but i mean honestly i, I flew in on friday we made our way to um the, the apartment where we're staying um, for the next two months um unless we find something earlier and I've been, you know, I, I I did go to Bellevue Square, so I did go to that mall, and that was a fine mall. It was, you know, not not the not Columbus Circle, but fine, um, and uh, nice enough. And uh, but I've mostly just been going to work. Yeah, you know, so and and kind of sticking around the area. So once we have a car, I think we'll be able to see more places. We did go into Seattle on Friday night once we got in, but nice. that was uh, that was. That's what was the only time we went in. So and the best part of this moving week, for a job is, you know, getting to do the new job and then finding your routine around that. Yeah. What I love about Seattle is all the food trucks. Like that's the best part. Like you got some of the best food you've ever had just like walking down the street. It's amazing. Having recently just been to Austin, Texas, uh, I have to say that the food truck culture in Seattle leaves something to be desired. Um, but I'm really excited for you to hopefully, you know, find your your place there, Christina, and settle in. And if it's Bellevue, that's fine. <laughs> I feel like I should I should explain some of my objections to Bellevue. It was yeah, I, I it's, a, re- it's a very new city. Um, it was built primarily for car traffic, unlike um, other cities which were built around pedestrian or freaking horse traffic. Uh, so it has in the downtown area a very these very very wide streets um and it was actually there was an issue i i think a few years ago um the it was made intentionally i guess to be as unpedestrian friendly as possible to purposefully keep people without cars out of bellevue because people without cars are generally people who don't have money it's basically this corbusier-esque city that yes. is meant to keep out the homeless um there are two there there is a big bus hub there which is great one of the only big bus hubs on the east side of seattle but it's still this sort of so i find it a suburban nightmare scape with these huge towers in the downtown area surrounded by um single family homes in the suburbs around bellevue uh, which are generally inhabited by wealthy people and it, it's just it's it kind of emphasizes to me everything that is wrong with the modern American city and the way that we have constructed cities in the in the more recent um, century of American history, which to me is not the, I guess, the way that I think human beings should live. Me, the expert in how human beings should live uh, at 26, whatever. But yeah, I, I care a lot about city planning. And to me, Bellevue kind of emphasizes um, a carelessness for human life 
and an emphasis on <laughs> corporate. Uh, sorry. <laughs> no. No. My God. No. I mean, I, 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 I haven't been here long enough to make a judgment whether you're right or wrong. But I, in general, kind of agree with you about those sorts of philosophies of, of, of cities that that try to force people into cars, especially a place you know, like this kind of the Seattle area where it is like compared to a lot of other cities, not New York, obviously, but a lot of other cities, pretty good with public transit. You know. Um, that, that, that's disappointing. Um, I did take the bus today, but, but I took it from Redmond. I'm like right on the Redmond Bellevue line. So oh, cool. is, I guess where I'm staying, but I mean, it, it was two stops, but I did take the bus today. That is awesome. Yeah. We, they're definitely good. I mean, they're putting in a train across, um, but, but like Washington and the, um, light rail service in Seattle is definitely improving. So I, I'm happy about that. I, I definitely having lived in New York, for a year, I feel strongly about public transportation and how gosh darn useful it is. Yeah, no, do. I agree with you. I mean, that's, that's going to be the, I think, the biggest thing totally. to kind of get used to. I'm glad to that is, you have a, the, a bus that you can take that works for you. That's really great. Yeah, no, I mean, I could technically walk to work from where my apartment is. It's like a mile, which here people are like, you would walk a mile. I'm like, yeah, it's like 20 <laughs> minutes. Like, what's the big deal? You got a bicycle. Like, uh, just bikes. Well, you, uh, you got yeah, amazing yeah, quads. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they have a whole bike program. Um, uh, My bike is in, is is on a uh, truck uh, making its way across the country. So I don't oh my have gosh. my bike currently. But yeah, I could I could I could totally ride a bike. Um, But like when the weather was nice, I mean, like I I, I walked um uh, back from work uh, two days ago and, and I, I could I could have done it today. It was it was nice enough. Uh, just, and it's like wasn't much longer of a walk than what I used to do to the subway twice a day mm-hmm. um, for six years. So, uh, but, but yeah, that's, that's been kind of interesting to get used to is that this is very much, I, I think Seattle is different, but at least where um, on the east side where I work and, and where I've been staying so far is definitely much more of a car culture, which uh, I'm not used to. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I think I, yeah. Simone should give you the beast. I think Simone should give you her car. The Beast that lives in Port Townsend Chris- now, and also his name is Pip. Uh- Pip, okay. Well, I think I think if Christina sees it, it's legally hers, and she can just take it. And That's fair, Christina, Christina. I will now. totally understand if yeah. you have to go steal that car. Okay, I mean, as a person who has never driven and gotten your li- driver's license, obviously you're the person most qualified to drive my 1988 Toyota Tercel. I was gonna say right. I'm I'm obviously the the person who's never driven a car, or I mean, have driven. You a car, are the it's, natural it's, heir. I'm the it's natural like heir. The sword in the stone. If Christina can sit behind, the oh my god, that's true. Right. That would be like herself and drive it. That she it belongs. It, to her. It, it belongs to the, oh my god, you guys, that would finally be like oh, Christina finally finally drove. Yeah, no, I mean, I've driven before. It's just it's been a really long time, and I really don't like it. So. Um, I don't know. I, uh, I, somebody that I'm working with, uh, told me that the, uh, you know, he doesn't drive, but his wife does. He's like, as long as one of you does, it's fine. So I'm, I'm hoping that that'll be. <laughs> oh my goodness. Brianna, uh, what are you up to this week? Uh, so I go back to Boston tomorrow. My <laughs> Guys, I'm so worried this could destroy my political career. So some political spouses bake cookies or exist as fashion plates. My husband is like, look, I will support your run for Congress, but you gotta let me make a commercial. And he is making like a low budget commercial for fundraising where like Mecca Trump comes <laughs> is destroying a city. Uh-huh. And then like giant monsters show up and fight Trump and he's been building, he's turned our entire downstairs into like this set of like buildings that he's built out of cardboard and it's I'm just like I'm. I'm holding on, and I hope it doesn't destroy my career. So, yeah, Your life this is, is very strange. Is. It really is, Simone. Please don't judge me. Um, so we're shooting that tomorrow. I've got two more ads that we're doing next week. I'm doing. Uh, I'm gonna be in. I think it's Glamour magazine this month. So nice. I'm working with them and then I'm going to WWDC soon where I am thinking about having a political fundraiser where people can come to my fundraiser with their Nintendo switch and then unlock Epona with all of my amiibos that I will have there. Cause I've got all the link amiibos. So if you want like twilight bow, boom, come to my fundraiser and you've got it. I want that. 
Will there be a uh, Facebook, some sort of link that I could place somewhere, yes. perhaps? We'll see. We'll see about that. Absolutely. Yay. Uh, this week, I will be sleeping, recovering from my How great. was France? It was really great. Uh, it was really cool to see my dad and hang out with my brother. Um, I hadn't done that in literal years. Uh, and I climbed a hundred meter tall sand dune in Arcachon called the Dune du Pilat. And oh, the most important thing is that I can freaking speak French still. What up? I didn't know that. Um, it came back to me. Uh, I will still not speak it on the podcast because it feels confusing and scary. But I was able to communicate with my dad's girlfriend, which is wonderful, and uh, her hot son. Um, <laughs> No, I, I rode a bicycle for the first time in many years. I rode the bicycle through the south of France, uh, which is oh, about the most ooh. idyllic. Like, riding bicycle through the south of France conjures an image in your head. It, that image is very true to life. It felt exactly like what you're thinking it felt like. I Even though my butt hurt a lot, it was perfect and wonderful. And uh, I really, the French haven't figured out, man. What a life. I, I, they're all just riding their bicycles in the sunshine. No respect Drinking for me. during the day. Drinking during yeah. the day. Eating leisurely lunches full of ham. And yet also thin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're all thin and beautiful and they smoke and they live forever and they drink wine all day and they ride their bikes. It seems like a lovely place. I honestly I'm very don't understand how they do it. I, li- I do not. It is a mystery. There's it's something like in the water. Mascaria, it's paradise, and just like <laughs> Americans can't go there. <laughs> oh gosh! Well, I'm I'm already excited to go back. I, I need to do that more often uh, for me, and also for my dad, which would be nice of me to do. Um. Anyway, so that was a, a great week that I had in that place. Also going on work trip or going on trips and then coming back midweek is actually the best thing that you could possibly do because then you get you get you don't get thrust back into the complete work lifestyle. You just get a little taste of it and then you get a weekend. And that weekend is coming up, my friends. And and this weekend has um three days. A, you have Monday off. Three days, right? Did yeah, you exactly. know that in France there are four three day weekends in the month of May? What? In the month of May. Because of religious wow, so holidays like, so, and stuff. So it's like summer Friday like every week. Basically. It's appalling to me. The whole country is ridiculous. Um, so, Christina, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me online at film underscore girl. Cool. Uh, on the Twitters, the Instagrams, the Snapchats, etc. Um, and uh, yeah, that's it. That is beautiful. Brianna, where can we find you online? Uh, Space Cat Gal on the Twitter machine. Cool. You can find me online at Doom Quasar on Twitter and my videos at youtube.com slash polygon. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, which I'm sure was great. It was great. I'm so glad to have you back, Christina. Uh, if I'm you're- so glad to be back. I missed you. It was, I missed you guys. It, it felt like 4,000 years since we talked. It did. It, was weird. it yeah. really did. And if you're happy to have Christina back, please give us five stars on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> this episode yes, of Rocket. Guilt the man. Guilt the man. Yes. I can do it. This episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 <laughs> <laughs>